Will you bow with me for a word of prayer tonight? Lord, we thank you for another chance to be in your house. Lord, we are honored to be here, honored to lift our voices to you, honored to hear from your word. So I just pray you would move tonight. As has been mentioned, Lord, many are still sick. Many are still um, without homes uh, in our country and in our our neighbors without power and just a lot of work to be done all over the place, Lord, for so many that have been displaced by hurricanes and flooding. And and so, Lord, we know nothing takes you by surprise, so we just ask you to be with those families. We continue to uh, send people, send aid their way and encouragement, and that we would, more than anything, that more people would hear about the hope of the gospel and would turn to you um, during these times. Lord, we ask you to be with us tonight as we hear from your word. Teach us in a way that only you can. We just praise you, we honor you, and we glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you have me again tonight. And uh, Pastor Mike, continue to pray for Pastor Mike's family. Is there um, still making arrangements and dealing with the loss of his mother? And I'm not sure what all that will be right now, but just continue to lift him up and pat in your prayers as they uh, continue to walk through this difficult journey. And uh, many, many others in our church need prayers. Many in our community still need prayers. So um, just continue to, to lift those up. Just welcome to all of you, those of you who are maybe on Facebook or YouTube. Glad that you're with us tonight as well. And hope that you're, you're blessed by what you hear from God's Word tonight. Uh, if you would, open your copy of God's Word to Daniel 9. Daniel chapter 9. I love the, the book of Daniel. And um, it's probably my favorite Old Testament prophet I've read it and studied it more than any of the others, and not just because it's shorter than, you know, Ezekiel and Isaiah and some of those longer prophets. It is shorter than that, but that's not the only reason it's one of my favorites. Um, I just love the character of Daniel, love the person of Daniel and his book. There's so much neat stuff in here. Um, To me, the book of Daniel is like, um, it's almost like a running commentary of the book of Revelation. And then the book of Revelation is almost a running commentary on the book of Daniel. And so I just enjoy reading that. But we are not looking at any of the apocalyptic type stuff in Daniel tonight. We're looking at a prayer of a prophet in exile tonight is what we're looking at in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9. We're looking at the first 19 verses is what we're going to look at. You know, the book of Daniel, it depicts a dark time in the history of Israel. For 70 years, they were a nation in exile. And the people of Judah had been displaced. They had been uh, dispersed all over. Uh, The temple had been destroyed. Daniel himself had been rescued, you know, from a pit full of lions in his life. Uh, We read about that earlier in the the prophet of of Daniel here in the book. But God had been faithful to his people. He had preserved um, a remnant of followers of his people. And in the book of Daniel, we see a a lot of apocalyptic end times kind of wild imagery. Uh, it's well known for its prophecies, its depictions of the end times. And, uh, but in, in the middle of all this apocalyptic type stuff, this chaos that they're going through being in exile, we have this beautiful heartfelt, heartfelt prayer that's recorded here, this prayer of a prophet in the midst, in the midst of exile, uh, towards the end, really, uh, end of their exile. It's a uh, uh, prayer of a prophet for his people, and we can learn a lot about prayer we can learn a lot about Daniel from this, but we can also learn a lot about prayer from, this, from this, these 19 verses that we're going to look at tonight. And while our situation is different from Daniel's, and, and we're, not, we're not a people in exile, at least physically, 
even if we are spiritually. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a little while. We can still apply a lot of the truths from this passage to our own life spiritually, to our prayer life. Um, John Owen, who is a famous Puritan preacher, what he says about prayer is that what an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is and no more. So think about that statement. Again, that's John Owen, famous Puritan preacher, um, wrote a couple of classics, if, if you've heard of them, The Mortification of Sin, um, The Death of Death, and The Death of Christ. But he said about prayer, again, what an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is and no more. So what does our prayer life reveal about who we are, about what's in our heart? Because it's very true. Our prayer life does reveal a lot about our own hearts, just as it does about Daniel in this passage. Charles Spurgeon said of this particular passage that we're about to read, he said, Daniel's prayer should, by the blessing of God's Spirit, inspire us with the spirit of prayer, and that is his example, and forgetting himself and remembering his people should help us be unselfish and lead us to care for our people, even God's people, to whom we have the honor and the privilege to belong. So let's read this prayer of the prophet tonight, Daniel 9, verses 1 through 19. I'm just going to read it all straight through, and then I've got um, about three main points for us tonight as we look at this. So Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign... I, Daniel, received in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day... To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have been, has sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works that he has done. 
and we have not obeyed his voice. Verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And that says the word of the Lord tonight. So I wanted to, like I said, break this down into about three points for you. There's no handout tonight. I apologize. Uh, actually, there's four points. I should probably look at my own notes. There's four main points tonight that we have for you all that we're going to learn from David's prayer. And a lot of uh, this is just things that I think they're practical things we can apply to our own prayer life. But they give us insight into the man Daniel too. Things that we can learn from him as, as he prayed. This, this prayer... If you look at the first two verses, you see that Daniel's prayer was an overflow of his time in Scripture. That's your first point. Dave, Daniel's prayer was an overflow of his time in Scripture. This particular prayer takes place about 12 years after the vision that's recorded in chapter 8. So it's about 12 years between the events of chapter 8, which is his vision of the ram and the goat, um, and the interpretation of that particular vision. It's about 12 years have passed since then. Um, there's a quote, uh, Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if, if you all are familiar with her, but she was a, a Polish Holocaust survivor. Her and her family helped uh, many Jews d during the uh, German occupation of, of Poland during the time and uh, were caught, and most of her family were imprisoned and died uh, while they were imprisoned. Uh, but she survived, and she wrote an autobiography called A Hiding Place, it's a great book if you've never read that. And she, she said, don't pray just when you feel like it. Make an appointment with the Lord and keep it. Don't pray when you, just when you feel like it. Make an appointment with the Lord and keep it. And it seems that's what Daniel is doing when this prayer was inspired. We see in verse 1 that he was studying the prophecy uh, recorded by, in the book of Jeremiah. So he was reading the prophet Jeremiah, one of his predecessors, right? One of his contemporaries. Um, which Daniel and all the Jewish world considered to be divinely inspired scripture. Uh, he was reading the scrolls of Jeremiah, and he came to understand through the work of the Spirit that the time that Jeremiah prophesied the people would be in captivity was coming to a close. Uh, if you read, and, and actually it's, if you want to, you can open your Bibles, Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12 specifically is probably what Daniel is referring to. Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12, where it says, uh, this is Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's prophecy, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. He's talking about Jerusalem. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So he's saying that Jerusalem, Judah, is going to become a waste and that the nation is going to serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And after 70 years are completed... 
I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So through Jeremiah, we see that he prophesied that the people of Israel would indeed be taken into captivity. They'd be laid waste for 70 years. They would be under the thumb of Babylon. And when that 70 years was over, God was going to wipe out Babylon and the people would their exile would be over. And Daniel knew God to be God and knew God to be a God who kept his word. And so based on the truth that he saw in Scripture, he was inspired to pray. It was true of Daniel, and it should be true of us. Our prayer life and our devotion to Scripture are intimately linked. Our prayer life and our devotion to Scripture are intimately linked. One feeds into the other. Our prayers should be inspired by and based off of the truths that we, that we find and that are revealed to us in God's Word. You see, Daniel had confidence in God's Word. He believed that when Jeremiah, the divinely inspired prophet, said 70 years, that indeed God meant 70 years. He listened when God spoke and he took it to heart. Daniel's love for and his study of God's Word fueled his prayer life. It inspired his prayer life for Daniel... His confidence in the promises of God did not move him to complacency, but it drove him to action and it drove him to his knees. So immersion in Scripture will energize our prayer life. And maybe that's why we struggle with prayer. Sometimes maybe we struggle because we don't dive deep in God's Word. Uh, as Corey Ten Boom also says, maybe we should make an appointment with the Lord and maybe we should keep it daily. Maybe we should take her advice. And in doing so, Spend time saturating our hearts with the promises of God and add fuel to our prayer life. Because as you see, we're about to see where Daniel's prayer life is about to take off because of something that he encountered in the Word. And we're going to talk about this for a little bit. Why was he so troubled by Jeremiah's prophecy? Because it seems like when you first read his prayer, right, that he's a bit shaken by the fact that this exile is about to come to an end. He should be elated about it, right? He should be excited about the fact that this, this period of time in the life of Israel is coming to a close. But when you look at verses 3 and 4, it doesn't really appear that way when you look at his posture. So let's look at that real quick. Daniel's prayer and ours was possible because of God's grace. So when you look at, at verses 3 and 4, it says, He turned his face to the Lord, seeking him by prayers and pleas of mercy with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So if you notice his posture in these verses, it says that after reading Jeremiah, he, he turned his face to the Lord, which for him probably meant turning his face towards Jerusalem, facing the direction of the temple. Uh, he approached God three specific ways, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Fasting, of course, is when you withhold food for a period of time. Uh, usually during a time of prayer uh, in your life. Sackcloth was a rough material that would have irritated the skin, and it was often a symbol of uh, repentance in the Old Testament. And then ashes was a sign of mourning or a sign of deep grieving. Uh, so we see here, just by, based on this posture, Daniel, was he was visibly lamenting, which seems odd because he just was inspired by reading Jeremiah that exile is almost done. Right, but he's visibly lamenting. It's very interesting. He just read this, that soon his people are going to be free. The 70 years are going to be up. They can go home, but he's mourning. You know, why, why is he doing that? Why is this? 
And I think this goes back to Daniel's understanding of God, which we'll cover this more in a minute. Daniel knew who he was. He knew who his people were, and he also knew who God was. He knew his people were in exile because of their sin, right? He knew that the only proper way to approach God was humbly and dependently. He knew his people would be tempted, and they were, to turn away from God again. The same thing that led them into exile could potentially become a problem for them again. Right? He knew other nations would eventually rise. He knew the future of his people, Judah, would uh, be full of turmoil. It would be full of struggle as they ventured out of exile. He knew that their exile might soon be ending, but their troubles would not go away as a people. Right? They would still be God's people. They would still have a target on their back. Plus, if you go all the way back to the Exodus, right, from the time that Moses led his people out of Egypt and God established them as a nation, as his people... Right from that time, they had a history of rebellion. They had a history of abandoning the Lord, of complaining against the Lord. Daniel knew his people. He knew what their hearts were like. He knew what his own heart was like. So here, what we see in these couple of verses is that Daniel is taking on the role of an intercessor. Right? He is interceding on behalf of his people. And he knows it's only by the grace of God that his people are going to be freed. It's only by the grace of God that they are going to be sustained after they leave exile. That's why in verse 4, he starts his prayer with praise. So this is, when you look at these next few verses, you almost see three components of prayer that we still should have in our life today. So Daniel starts with something that we would call praise or adoration, right? Adoration in his prayer life. Look how he refers to God in these verses. Great, awe-inspiring, gracious, covenant-keeping, just... This teaches us a major truth about prayer and why our hearts, really, this is where our hearts should start when it comes to our prayer life, is adoration, is praise, because it's a holy privilege to go to the Lord in prayer. And it's only possible because of His grace. God, in His mercy, graciously allows us to come into His presence, and only the blood of Christ can give us access to the Holy of Holies. Like, we, we've been granted access to God that even the prophet Daniel did not have access to. We can go to the very throne of God ourselves without fear of judgment, without fear of being turned away. That's why we, we begin prayer with adoration, because prayer is really, it's a, it's a response of gratitude, of being overwhelmed um, at God's grace, at His mercy. So our posture should be like Daniel's posture, right? Fasting equals dependence. Sackcloth equals repentance, and ashes equal lament. So Daniel is truly a man, a prophet, who sees the trouble ahead for his people, knows what his people is like, before he even starts petitioning God on behalf of his people and asking for anything, he begins by praising God for who he is, by praising God for his mercy, even in the middle of exile, even in the middle of all that they're going on, David's, Daniel still recognizes that God is a faithful God and that he cares for his people, but he also knows the hearts of his people and how prone they are to wonder. So this does beg a question, if prayer is such a holy privilege in our lives and in the life of Daniel, if it's such a holy privilege, then why do we neglect it? And I'm speaking to myself here, as I was preparing for this over the last few days, couple days, and 
knowing that my own prayer life lacks some of the things that Daniel's is including here, and I'm reading what the prophet is doing, and I'm inspired because I know that I don't often begin my prayers this way, that I often dive right for the things that I need, the things that are weighing heavy, normally my own sin, my own needs, the own thing, my own things that are troubling me. Um, and I don't take time to recognize God for who He is. And I think sometimes if we did that, our list would get a little smaller. God wants to hear about your needs. God wants to hear about what's going on. God wants you to petition Him for things, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I think we should also recognize what Daniel did in taking time and realize who we're speaking to. We see in Scripture how vital prayer is to our lives, yet we allow this world and our sin to keep us from it. If God is graciously inviting us to commune with Him in prayer, then why would we turn that away? Why would we neglect that? So I hope we're inspired by Daniel and that we're inspired to dive deep into God's Word, allow it to drive us to prayer. A lot of times if you find yourself in your prayer life and you're like, I don't know what to say right now, I don't know what to pray for, if you open God's Word and you begin to read, God will show you things to be grateful for, God will show you things to ask forgiveness for, that His Word can inform our prayer life. It can show us things about ourselves. It can show us things about the world around us that we need to be on our knees in prayer about. Because it's in prayer is where we discover who God really is and we adore Him even more. So we begin with praise, His mercy, His grace, and allowing us to come to Him in prayer. We begin with praise. And then we get into kind of the meat of the actual prayer itself here in verses 5 through 14. And we see that Daniel's prayer, it dealt openly and honestly with sin. Now this is, this is a very key point in this, this whole passage because he spends more time confessing than he does anything else here in this passage. More time confessing than he does anything else. There is a stark realization of his people's sin in these verses. If you look at 5 through 14 again. And what we see in those verses uh, is what is called corporate repentance or confessional, congregational confession. So he's moved from adoration to confession. Adoration to confession. An individual confession is when we personally go to God over something that we've done, right? Some sin that we've committed, we personally go to God and we individually confess to Him, which should be something we do daily. You know, we offend the holiness of God, we violate His standard, therefore we go to Him as an individual and we confess those wrongs to Him. Wrong motivations, wrong thoughts, wrong intentions of our hearts, wrong actions, all the things that would violate his standard, and offend His holiness. We confess those wrongs, we repent of them, and we trust in the forgiveness of God. But what we see Daniel doing is speaking and confessing as a, repre as a representative of the nation of Judah, right? as a representative of his people. It's an open confession of the sins that led them into exile. Right? At the end of the day, Judah was in exile, and the temple was destroyed, not because Babylon was so strong. They were, but they weren't stronger than God. So they weren't in exile because Babylon was so strong or so mighty or because their leaders were better than Judah's. They were in exile because they had broken covenant with God and God had judged them for their sin. 
And if you look through the passage here over these next few, you know, verses 5 through 14, you can see there's some very specific things that Daniel lists um, that are sins his people have committed. Uh, they've acted wickedly, rebelled, they've turned away, they've not obeyed God's voice, they've broken the law, they've refused to obey. It's, it's really harsh. You know, if Daniel, if Daniel had been an attorney... He just laid out a pretty convincing case against God's people that they are indeed guilty before the Lord, as we all are. But notice what two things Daniel does, though. So I, these are a couple of things that I want us to notice about Daniel's prayer here. Um, and we, we know the life of Daniel. We've read about it in, in this book, right? We know that Daniel was, was a very upstanding man. Daniel was a man who took a, a stand for God um, when not many would. He continued to pray even when it was outlawed and faced death uh, for it. He was a man who would go before the king and rebuke the king and tell the king all the things that God said. He wouldn't withhold anything. Whatever God wanted the king to know, Daniel told the king at the, at the expense of his own life and at the threat of his own life, he would go and he would share the truth with the king. So he was a man of integrity. He was a man of honesty. He was a man who kept God's word, who prayed. But at the end of the day, the first thing we notice about this prayer is that he doesn't exclude himself when confessing the sins of his people. He includes himself with the rebellious nation of Judah, right? He doesn't exempt himself just because he's a prophet. And you can tell this by how in these verses he used terms like we, us, our. He's linking himself as a prophet, as representative of his people. He's linking himself with his people. He's acknowledging that he is part of this sinful, rebellious people who've broken covenant with God. And why, why is that important? And why point that out? I think it's because Daniel refused to elevate himself above his people when it came to responsibility and accountability. Right? He refused to elevate himself above his people when it came to the responsibility of their sin and accountability before God. How could he lead them and not be with them in the midst of their trial and in the middle of their exile? Good leaders don't instruct and rebuke from outside the fire. They get in the fire and they lead their people out. Daniel did that. Daniel identified with the sinfulness of his people and he confessed it. And that's exactly what Jesus did for his people too when you think about it. Right? Jesus went to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross so that his people might be redeemed. So Daniel is foreshadowing the intercessory and the mediating work of Christ on the cross. When he's going before God on behalf of his people representing them, but also putting himself in the midst of them. So just as Daniel stood in the gap and identified with his people, so did Jesus. Jesus is, of course, a greater Daniel, a greater prophet, a greater mediator, an intercessor. But Daniel, nonetheless, kind of gives us a portrait of that. He kind of shows us what that is like as God's prophet. And I love that about Daniel. I mean, the people were, they were rebellious people. They were stiff-necked people. They had a history of turning away from God despite all that God had done for them. And yet here was Daniel, a prophet, putting himself in their shoes, identifying with them, going down with the ship, so to speak. He, wherever his people went, Daniel was there. The second thing I want us to notice is that Daniel also acknowledged that God's punishment and the exile of the people was just and it was right. Like he did not one time ask the Lord, why... 
Are you doing this to us? We don't deserve this. Verse 14 says, For the Lord is righteous in all He has done. For 70 years, almost 70 years at this point, God had let His people be under the thumb of Babylon. They'd been in exile. Their temple laid in ruins. Their homeland it was a waste. God had done that in judgment for, because of His people's sins. And Daniel acknowledges, hey, you're just. You're right. Everything you've done so far to your people, everything we've gone through, all you've allowed us to endure, you're righteous and you're good in all that you do and all that you've done. So why was God just in his discipline of his people? Because Daniel said in verse 14, we've not obeyed him. The people had not obeyed him. And so he recognizes in his confession, he identifies with his people and he confesses that everything God has done is right. So I think there's, there's two takeaways that we can learn from this. this. These verses, verses 5 through 14. First, this should change how we pray for and encourage leadership, not just in our church, but everywhere. It's a burden to identify with a group of people, many of whom um, are resistant to being led themselves. I know I have been. I'm sure you have too. Billy Graham was famous for saying, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get them down on their knees. So it's true of the church too sometimes. Secondly, we also need to, like Daniel, acknowledge you know, the justice and the fairness of God. Acknowledge that whatever He does when He disciplines us, He's still good, He's wise. Everything that He allows us to go through has a purpose. He has a plan for it. God never unjustly or unfairly punishes or disciplines His people. It's painful. It often tests our patience. But God is always right in. He's always right in what He does. He's always fair in what He does. So this passage should also encourage us to speak openly and honestly about our sin to God as well. Daniel knew how sinful his people were. He knew his own heart. But he still went to God. And he took those confessions of sin to God. And we must be like him. We must remove any barriers or excuses to full confession of sin. We're very good at justifying things in our lives, things that, we don't, that are sin, but we don't necessarily want to call them sin because everybody else is doing that thing. Um, or maybe you, think, maybe you think you've gone too far and God can't forgive you of that. We think we'll lose respect, status, or more by speaking about sin. And maybe we will. That's a possibility when you speak the truth about sin in your own life or sometimes speak the truth about sin in the lives of brothers and sisters, that can lead to problems. It's not a guarantee that it's always going to go well. But nonetheless, we should be encouraged by Daniel, and we should do it. You know, I've been guilty of thinking those things in my life, too, about sin. I know that one thing is true in the long run. I've never regretted taking all my sins and frustrations to God, fully confessing them, and leaving them at His feet. I've never regretted that. And the more I do it, the more I realize I need to do it. I can't do it enough. You know, if you want to grow in holiness, if you want to grow in closeness to God, repent and confess often. Repent and confess often. Become more aware of the ways that you fall short and depend on the strength of God to bear those burdens. You can't shock God with your confessions. <laughs> it's a good thing, right? We can't shock. He's not shocked by the things that we tell him, the things that we think. In confessing, you draw near to God, and He draws near to you. And you have a God 
and this is more important than anything, you have a God who delights in forgiveness. Like he wants to forgive his people. Daniel knew that. That's why he could say the Lord is righteous in all he has done. God delights in forgiving his people. So we learn from the prophet that we should go to God, that we should confess to God. That's what he does. So he goes from adoration to confession. And now we finally see him move on to petition in these last few verses, verses 15 through 19. 15 through 19. Uh, I won't reread them, but you can see here how he begins this process of recognizing who God is, where God has brought them, and he begins to ask God, to petition God. So the character of God should inform our prayers. That's the fourth truth, the fourth and final truth. Daniel's prayer was grounded, it was rooted in the character of God. It was rooted in the character of God. The character of God, who he is, who he has revealed himself to be, should inform our prayers. We, we should recognize who we're praying to as we ask God for things. Matter of fact, we ask him for things because we know who he is. We see here Daniel moves from confession to petition. So now he's, he's come full circle, right? Adoration, confession, petition. He's praised God for who he is. Daniel has confessed the sinfulness of the people. And now he asks God to act. Now he asks God to act. And all of this is based on Daniel knowing the character of God. Again, God's character, who he is, informs, molds, and shapes our prayers. As a matter of fact, the, God, the character of God should be the foundation of our prayers. We ought to know who we're talking to. Sinclair Ferguson, who is a, um, a professor, I believe still, at Reformed Theological Seminary, says, Daniel sees the righteousness of God both as the basis for God's judgment of the people and also the basis for his own prayer for forgiveness. How can this be? In Scripture, righteousness basically means integrity. Sometimes it's defined as conformity to a norm. In the case of God, the norm to which he conforms is his own being and character. He is true to himself. He always acts in character. If you think about that, if God, if, if Scripture, if God reveals himself as righteous, which means he is a God of integrity, which means there's got to be something right. Like, what's the standard of right? If we call God righteous, what's the standard of right by which he conforms to well, it's himself. There's no, no, no greater good, no greater right that God can conform himself to other than himself. He acts true to who he is. He's a righteous God. He always acts in character. And it's good for us that God never acts contrary to the character that he's revealed to us in the Bible. Because if he did, he wouldn't be a very trustworthy God to petition. But we pray to him because he is faithful, because he is righteous, because he is unchanging. And he never will act contrary to his nature. So our prayers are very God-centered. We pray with full knowledge and full confidence of who God has revealed himself to be, of who he is. In verse 16, we see that, that Daniel trusts God's forgiveness because God always acts in keeping with all of his righteous acts. God will never act contrary to his nature. It's in his nature to forgive his people who call out to him. And in verse 18... Daniel says he is presenting petitions to God based on God's abundant compassion. So Daniel is praying to God. He's calling out to God because he knows that God is righteous. He knows that God always acts in, um, 
always acts in character. He's always true to himself. And he knows that he serves a God and he's praying to a God who's abundantly compassionate towards his people. God rescued his people from Egypt because he's mighty. God forgives his people because he's righteous. God disciplines his people because he's just. He answers our prayers because he's compassionate. He's all of these things. Our knowledge of God informs, molds, and shapes and lays a foundation for our prayer life. You know, it's, it's, it's no different for my kids. Hopefully, by now, they've paid attention enough to know what kind of man their dad is. They know the kinds of things that they can come to me. Now, they still will ask for things they know I'm going to say no because it's just in the nature of kids. Sometimes I think they just need to hear the no so they can overreact to the no because they're just kids and that's just what they do. But they know the character of their parents. They know they can come to you and ask you things because they know you're going to listen to them because they know that you care for them. Even if they don't now, they eventually will, hopefully. God's the same way. We know the character of God. The more we know the character of God, the more we go to Him, the more we trust Him. On top of this, Daniel asked God to act for the sake of his own name. This is, this is a theme you see a lot in Scripture, right? When the prophets, it's all throughout the Psalms too, when they call for God to act, when they call for God to do something, they say, do it for your own name's sake. If you were here last week, we studied Psalm 23, right? And that's what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 23, that he would lead him through the valley of the shadow of death, that his staff and his rod comfort him, that he prepared a table in the midst of his enemies, he anointed his head with oil, his cup overflows, right? And did it all that for his name's sake. God acts for the sake of his own name. Daniel, doesn't, Daniel says, don't do it for us, Lord. We don't deserve it. Do it for your own sake. Do it because it'll bring glory to your name. Because Daniel knew that God put his own name on the line in identifying with his people. He had, God identified himself with such a stubborn, and rebellious people. And Daniel asked God to restore his name by rescuing his people. He was saying, God, don't do it for us. Do it because your name and your name alone are worthy to be praised. God's people don't deserve rescuing, but God's name does, also doesn't de- deserve def- defaming. God acts out of compassion for his people, but he also acts for the sake of his own glory and the sake of his own name. So when we pray and God moves to answer our prayers... What's, what's really on display, anytime God does anything great in our life, anytime God answers any prayer in our life, what's really on display is the glory of the Lord and the compassion that he has for you and I, the compassion that he has for his people who bear his name. God is, he's glorified and acting on behalf of his people for the sake of his own name. Let me put it another way. Humble prayer has the ability to shake the earth. If you think about that, humble prayer has the ability to shake the earth, not because you and I have any ability in and of ourselves to move anything or to do anything, but because the God we pray to is, is gloriously powerful. He delights to act on behalf of his people for his own name's sake. So we root our prayers in the character of God and who he is. We trust his prayer, his power, and we ask God to act because we know that he can. Like That's why we ask him to do things. We don't ask him to do things that... We don't think he can do, right? We ask God to act because we know that he can. We ask God for sometimes great things because we know that he can. And what Daniel is asking for is a pretty great task. He's asking to take this whole group of people who've been in exile for 70 years, many of which have never even seen the temple, right? Never stepped foot in Judah, don't remember its former glory, 
Don't remember the former power of the nation. Right? He's asking God to round all those people up and somehow send them back home when the time of exile is over and to reestablish them right in the middle of all other enemies and ask God to be with them and for them to flourish again in such a way that God gets the glory and the people get rescued. That's a pretty great thing Daniel's asking God for here as his people's time in exile is coming to a close. To reestablish the nation of Judah, that was quite a task. But God was up for it. And if he's up for that, he can be up for anything in our lives, no matter how big, no matter how small. Ian Bounds uh, wrote a book on prayer called The Purpose in Prayer. And he said that God shapes the world by prayer. If you think, think about this, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. We don't always see that, right? The mightier the forces against evil. So let's follow Daniel's example here. All right, we may not be in Babylon like the people of Judah were. We're not physically in exile. We're not yet anyway in a foreign country, um, displaced. But we are displaced people spiritually, right? We're, we're spiritual exiles far from home, spiritual vagrants wandering the wilderness awaiting our promised land. We are, Peter tells us that we're that. We're foreigners. We're aliens, resident aliens, right, in this world, waiting on something greater, waiting on a new heavens, waiting on a new earth. So in a lot of way, we're much like the people of Judah were. We're in exile. And what sustains us is what sustained Daniel then, the comforting presence of God and knowing that we can go to him in prayer, that we can adore him, that we can confess daily to him and he will not turn us away, that God will not one day wake up and be offended by the things that we ask for, that he will not one day be offended by the things that we confess because he delights in forgiving his people. So we can bring our cares to him. We can bring our petitions to him. He delights to hear our praises. He delights to forgive us. He's moved by compassion to act on our behalf, even things that we don't even know we need. God is merciful and gives them to us, all for the sake of his name and for his glory. So I'm going to close by just reading Daniel 9, 19 again, because I think it's just a wonderful verse. And it's, it's really our prayer tonight, right? It's just something that we should pray tonight. We should pray every day, really. Daniel 9, 19, Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own namesake, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Do not delay. It's a wonderful truth from God's word tonight from the prophet Daniel as he prayed for his people. May we also pray in the same way that he did as we await the returning of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for this reminder from the prophet Daniel as you worked through him and as you inspired him to pray knowing that a time of exile was coming to close for his people, coming to an end, that you inspired him to pray, to confess, and to petition you on behalf of his people. So, Lord, we, we do know less. We, we await your return. We know that we're spiritually displaced people, Lord, awaiting a new home as well. And so we, we thank you for this privilege, this holy privilege of being able to call on you, 
being able to praise you for who you are. Thank you for revealing yourself to us so that we might know who you are, so that we might root and ground our prayers in the knowledge of your character and have full confidence that we know that you never act contrary to that nature, contrary to that character, that we can trust you. So, Father, we just, we just ask and we confess to you the times that we fail to do that, that we fail to pray, that we neglect um, calling out to you, confessing to you, uh, that we don't realize that you delight to forgive us, that you um, are compassionate uh, towards us in ways that we can't understand and fathom. So we just thank you for that truth, Lord. Pray that we would be a people of prayer, that we would be a people of your word, that we would cling to your promises and turn to you in prayer and petition you and trust you to act for our good and for the sake of your name. So we pray all this in Christ's name. We praise you. We thank you. Amen. All right. Four minutes early. Pastor Mike's never done that, has he? Never done that. All right. Y'all have a good night. Thank you for being here.